You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and soon you'll be hearing a conversation between myself and Garrett Gamel from the Sydney Outfit Citizen of the World. The reason for the conversation is to promote their May 3, 2019 release. It's called Window to Your Mind. I will add, this is one of my most enjoyable conversations I've had because myself and Garrett, we cross over into a number of universal subjects that I really hope you enjoy listening to us talk about. So let's have a listen to what the man has to say. Here we go. Oh, good, good. Have you been practicing or something, have you? Rehearsing? No, I was actually at the gym. <laughs> like I had a foot injury a few um, weeks ago. Just finally trying to get back to it. All right. What I wish do you... I was playing music instead of Oh, yeah. What do you do at the gym? What's the specialty? Oh, I just, I try to, like, I normally do some cardio. So I'm still on the bike right now because I can't really run. And then I just do weights. And yeah. I alternate, obviously. Yeah, I try to swim. Yeah, I get it, mate. I, I try to swim about five or six days a week if I can, even in the winter. But we're in Queensland. Oh, that's epic. Did you do the? Did you do the? There was this epic swim over the weekend from Bondi to uh, Watson's Bay. A friend of mine did this. I think it's like ten or eleven k. No, I'm in I'm in Queensland, so um, I, I go just into public pools and do the fifty meter pool or the twenty five meter pool and just try to get a kilometer, bit over a kilometer out every time I go there, just to sort yeah. of just to sort of. Uh, yeah offset the alcohol it's drunk through the week <laughs> but that's the deal mate yeah, yeah. Uh... Oh, no, yeah i should do it too like swimming is awesome i just don't know i surf sometimes when i can but it's like i think swimming and surfing is like a workout that you can't really replicate anywhere else like it's all that shoulder movement you oh it is do it yeah. other, other than actually swimming or surfing i just love it i just feel as though a real i've got a real connection to water even if it's got chlorine i come out of water and i just feel like i can I'm ready to take on the world, if you know what I'm saying. I just feel as though it puts my mind at ease. It's my meditation, if you like. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you go in the morning, then, before you start your day? No, I typically go through the day, because I've got two kids, so it's just too difficult to, to wake up at 5 o'clock and then go and do that, because by the end of the day, I'm just totally exhausted if I do that. I I have tried that in the past, but it didn't, didn't last very long, so I'm actually a mature-age student these days, so I'm back at uni full-time, and Bond Uni have this magnificent 50-metre pool at uh, hardly anybody's in during the daytime. So they've got the Commonwealth game and some Olympic athletes that actually use it in the mornings between sort of five and seven and then in the afternoons between three, oh, wow. and, three and five. And I sort of, there's me and, you know, I don't know how many other people, but there's only ever sort of one or two people in there whenever I go in there at around midday or so. And the benefit of that too, mate, is that um, I, I'm out in the sun a lot too. So I uh, get the benefits of vitamin D from being out in the sun and the water like that. And I'm only in the water for like, you know, 40 minutes or 45 minutes or so. But it, um, it, it's my midday. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it, yeah. Yeah, my midday what reset. You, uh, what are you studying now? Pretty, yeah, I'm yeah, studying. to go back to studying. Good on you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm studying journalism. So I... Uh, oh, was, yeah. I was an account executive at Telstra and got thoroughly burnt out with the whole thing. I was, try- I was honestly trying too hard. So I was just... Just bloody, you know, working 12, 14-hour days, the usual shit, and doing what I think the job really demanded because a lot of the processes at Telstra really aren't that good. So you've really got to oversee everything that you sell, being an account executive, because you've got to live up to your commitment to a customer. And, man, I just got burnt out with the whole thing and um, quit, literally quit, and thought, what the hell am I going to do with myself? And I've been doing all of this podcasting and indie journalism now for a couple of years, and 
was probably about six months into it when I quit Telstra, maybe six or 12 months into it when I quit Telstra. And when I when I quit, I thought, well, I've got to bloody do something. And, and I thought about Uber driving and doing yeah. all of the things that we tend to do to sort of bring money in. But I thought, well, how about you just do a whole career reset and how about we try to make something out of this journalism pursuit and instead of going and working for somebody, I realized that I didn't have the skills to actually even apply for jobs, so I had to go back to uni. Well, not back. I didn't finish oh, wow, uni very courageous. Time, That's awesome, man. Oh, thanks, brother. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. I've got to tell you, I'm yeah. in my 40s, and I'm back there with all the 18 and the 18 to 25-year-olds. And Is that weird? It, it, it was before I started thinking about it. It was really weird, but when I got there, I didn't even feel like I was, I was any different to them because they're all very polite and very respectful. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, uh, yeah, nice. I just found that I fit in too. And, and the other thing too, there's no social pressure on me, meaning that I'm not there to yeah. – no, not in a bad way, I say. So I'm not really there to make friends. I just really want to get through the course, the, the, the subject content and get the degree. So it's funny how that works because you tend to form friendships when you're deadly serious about something like that because they recognize that that in you so they it's not about get it taking advice from me or anything like that but i tend to find that you have a fairly broad circle of people that you can interact with on a social basis anyway without actually trying to sort of create that circle so man i've got to tell you i'm, I'm in a pretty good stage of life at this point in time yeah that's awesome but i think you're i haven't heard that that kind of path many times i think we had i'm not even sure i've ever heard it's really good it's very cool yeah thanks so very, very yeah. courageous but I'm, I'm really glad it's working out it's cool very good. Well, I'll tell you something about your music here. I've been, I've had some problems with my iTunes account, actually, so I had a hard drive fail. So <laughs> I haven't listened to it as much as what I wanted to, but I have, had a, I have had to listen to it enough to form an opinion. Okay, so this is when I was listening to the Welcome to Your Mind EP. So this is your most recent release. Here's what I, this is what I, I heard, okay? So feel free to disagree because I will ask for your opinion after this. To me, your yeah. music... Your music sounds like as though the Beach Boys hung out with John Lennon and paid very close attention to the very best laid-back indie music of the past five years. So now that I've made that comparison, <laughs> how, how would you describe your music to people that are yet to hear it? Well, that's, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I would like to hear more about uh, what makes you say that, really, I think, because I don't really... Um, like, I mean, the, the good thing about music is that I, I try to write in a way where it's, everybody can, like, I do something with lyrics. So I try to do something where everyone can have their own kind of interpretation. So it's obviously aimed at something, but then I actually had a friend the other day, one of my exes would ask me, oh, is this song about me? And I was like, no. <laughs> Why would you think that? <laughs> like she, and she actually had a kid, right? She was like, yeah, you know, I feel like when you say this, it's like, you know, uh, it feels like it's about a pregnant woman. I was like, not, not even close. <laughs> Rightio, yeah, there you go. About music, you can you can just you can just make it about your own thing. So, I mean, I actually don't really think so much in in a genre thing. Definitely, the indie thing is obviously kind of what I listen to a lot. So that that's definitely there. Hmm. Um, why John Lennon? I think it was the way you constructed the songs. So the harmonies are definitely Beach Boys esque, but it was the manner in yeah. which you can you constructed the songs so they had a crescendo about three quarters of the way through. And a good song to refer that to that is Free to Go. So the sax solo on that yeah, is yeah. very special, actually. I've been listening to that one probably more than any others. I've had that one on repeat a few times. Oh, and, and Free to Go, the sax solo actually reminds me of a guitar solo, and it actually sounds like something that John Lennon would, would have wholeheartedly agreed with from the perspective of that needs to go then and there. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. the way he constructs mm-hmm. the music now, I haven't tried to deconstruct it for the, for the purposes of uh, really giving you uh, a close comparison. But, you know, on a superficial level, when I listen to your music and when I dive into some of his stuff, because occasionally I do put some of his solo stuff on, that was the first artist that came to... You, you, you're the first artist in, in 400 interviews, well over 400 interviews that I've done, that I can actually accurately make that comparison. You know, and, and I think there's... <laughs> and there's a, like an ethereal quality to your music as well. It feels like as though you're floating on a cloud or something through some of it. And I think that's the Beach Boys side of it coming out. And there's also the laid-back indie stuff. Um, God, you know, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm trying to give you some examples of bands that I've heard over the last few years, but a Grizzly Bear would be one. Now, I know that's not the last five years. That's probably 10 years. So, yeah, but your music has echoes of Grizzly Bear. Um, the, the, the better aspects of Coldplay's music, because I find their music quite droll, to be honest with you, but I can understand that the Chris, Mar- Chris Martin does have some very good songwriting attributes and I think some of the some of his best stuff I can hear through your music as well. So it's it's all there, man. Yeah, well it's all there and it's the sort yeah, of thanks so much. It's it's music that I think you can put on in a lot of different settings. So you can put it on in the car. I can put it on around the kids and the kids don't complain like I do when I put on black metal around them or something else. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know the kid test is a great test. I think I'm going to add that to my repertoire. There you, there you <laughs> go. Play it in front of different age groups there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so, so I mean, so, so we, we came from a very strong folk rock background, right? So I'm, I'm a huge fan of Milton and Sons and he basically, well, actually, like, you know, I don't know him personally, but like, he inspired me a lot songwriting-wise because, but kind of just like, they made John Lennon as well, like all these big songwriters, and I would count Marcus Mumford as one of them. They have mm-hmm. this kind of way of, um, I mean, the chord progressions are always the same for everybody, <laughs> but somehow they managed to put a melody on top that's not as obvious and somehow interesting, even though, you know, everybody uses the same chords over and over again to some degree, you know, and then you try to put in a little variation and, but if, I often find that if you um like the the more the, the weirder songs are normally the ones that people are like yeah I don't really get that and then mm-hmm. you have the occasional like one of the ten friends and fans and family members who are like this one that's that's my song and you're like oh, okay so you're clearly in the same mood as when I wrote that song <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then more, like people only connect with it when they're in the same kind of mood so but for this for this release we've kind of moved away from, from um doing pure folk rock and I think the first song which is um Deploize is probably the only like proper folk rock song and everything else is, is, is kind of very uh very much written according to the mood I was in whenever we wrote these songs. So okay. like there's this kind of rocky come down track track. Yep. Then interlude is like it's it's to me, I was very. I was clearly listening to listening to a lot of Bon Iver at the time. Okay, Bon Iver. <laughs> you can hear yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, and yeah, they're all very different. And, and so the last song was mostly written by Matt by the Jama. Um, nothing at all. And it's to me, it's like I mean, he loved and we listened to a lot of film um, music. Yep. Okay. So it's like almost cinematic, right? So it's it's got like these really these sweeping um, string sections and horns, like like it's so layered and so like full and sound wise that with these big crescendos and so um yeah where am I going with this? I don't know. I think I, I'm I'm like I don't think I really think about genre so much anymore. I just um, Yeah. I think we we're going to a place where 
we'll probably with the next five songs we'll probably have a sound. Okay, <laughs> that's gotcha. like clearly that we're probably going to stick with for a while. And I think right now we're just we're going away from what we used to do. And I think we're very much in a we're putting our feelers out and um, just trying out different things to see. Um, just well, I'd, I'd encourage you to keep doing that instead of settling into a genre. You know that because I, I understand music is about finding your niche. I get that, but it sounds like you're still discovering it. So please keep going because you've got you've got some wonderful creative talent here. And mate, I think you can actually go far far beyond this. You can, you can almost go into Radiohead territory. I'm getting a bit of that vibe through some of the oh, cuts. Yeah. You know, you remember when Radiohead came out with OK Computer and everybody thought, oh, I'm yeah, old yeah, enough I to remember that. when that came out in 97, right? And when Paranoid Android was the video that was everywhere and yeah. we thought, man, they can't top this. And then they came out with uh, Kid A, I think it was after that, wasn't it? And, yeah. and yeah, they, oh, they got it. Kid in... A has this epic track with everything in its right place. Yes. It just gives me shivers every time. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's some yeah. people on YouTube actually that have deconstructed the some Radiohead cuts and they've slowed them down 800 times, so it's 800 times slower. And my God, it sounds even more vast. And people in the YouTube section have got YouTube comments have said, I came here to laugh at it, but I actually started crying. It was so beautiful. This sort of stuff. I don't know what the hell oh, Tom wow, York. Yeah, I don't know what those guys are connected to, man. It's something ethereal or something well beyond the ether, but they're connected to something that few yeah. understand, I think. And, and I, look, I've been guilty of probably um, bagging them in the past for being a bit pretentious, and I do think they can be a bit pretentious at times, you know, in the way that they answer journalists' questions and the like. But you know what? They're artists, and they can do whatever the hell they want, ultimately. But, uh, but, but Yeah, so I actually, I mean, they're definitely full of themselves. I know that from, a, I know a guy who organizes a festival and he basically, so Radiohead wanted 90% of the revenue from the festival. Oh, shit. Um, as a fee. Greedy bastards. Because it was like, well, you know, 90% of people are going to come to see us. And he was like, yeah, but hang on. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but still, I, I totally agree. It's, it's amazing songwriting. But yeah, I think he's, he's probably very eccentric, dude. He's, he's, he comes across as a very strange guy. Yeah, he looks like a weird guy. God, I don't mean to judge a book by its cover. Yeah. He looks like the sort of guy that if you're on a train with him, you think, you've got a story to tell, mate, haven't you? I wonder what stories are up there in your brain. Mm. Uh, Tom York. You so know. I heard, a, or I read in an interview that the name Radiohead, I don't know if this is true, maybe I'm just making this up, but I think I've read um, them saying that the name Radiohead comes from the fact that when he writes songs, he just it feels to him like he's just tuning into a song that's already there. And he just uses his head as a radio and just kind of tunes into the song and just like writes it down, basically. Can you relate to that production. as an artist? Can Can you relate to any of that? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I have, I have so many. I mean, like, I wouldn't, you know, like, I'm gonna have to keep a bit of modesty here as well. Like, I mean, he's hmm. he's doing stuff that's way out there. Like, but um, I think the songwriting. I so free to go. I wrote in five minutes. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it took for it took forever to to finish it. And we actually I actually wrote this ages ago. and We never recorded it properly. So this is like a it's, it's finally it's like a proper recording of it. And we've been playing this for over five years. But yeah, so I wrote it in five minutes. Maybe like you know I I played around with some lyrics, and then after ten minutes I had the whole thing. I had the structure, the chords, the the words, and we haven't really changed. We only made it. You know we we added some. Uh, extra bits and pieces in there but to a large degree the phone recording from five years ago is still basically the same stuff <laughs> oh wow okay so, yeah 
Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So that, that's cool. And then another song you struggle more, but yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. I've written a few songs in my time too, and some of them come together within five minutes, and you're like, where the hell did that come from? And other songs just mm. don't ever seem to come together at all, ever, no matter how much you try. And uh, so I can definitely understand yeah. and relate to what Tom has said there if he's saying that he's just tuning into something in the ether beyond. But I think who else said, somebody else said that that was very unlikely. Was it Van Halen or somebody said something similar where they were just, uh-huh. yeah, they were just grabbing whatever was already out there and it was just flowing through them and... I think if you've got the intellect and you've also got the technical ability to understand how to make your vision real on an instrument, then there's probably a lot of credence to what they're saying then. Yeah, so, but I, yeah, I think so, so clearly I would love to be in his brain for like a day and then just wonder. Because after <laughs> that, I think it'll get tedious <laughs> yeah but uh Indeed. yeah i would love i would love to see or hear the world from his perspective mm. and but i have you know and you probably have too but like i have i have you know dozens if not if not hundreds of snippets of songs on my phone and sometimes i listen to some of them again and i'm like hmm, i should probably use this again but i find that often so each song is obviously super personal and it's like uh it's like you basically get to know me at a very particular time mm. in, in the last year or so. And so I always find that now I kind of, I try to write the songs as quickly as possible or if I can't finish them for whatever reasons, um, I try to really remember or have like a good initial structure or idea for, for like, you know, how I feel and whatever is the event or the person or the place or whatever that is the main inspiration for it. And then I really try to remember it. And whenever I go back to try and finish the song, I first try to get back into that same mood as well. Because oh, yeah. otherwise I think you just lose the, the initial, it, you just end up writing like a, like a shitty pop song, right? You just, <laughs> you just yeah. finish it with, with what a computer would finish the line with kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's interesting you raise that point because have you heard about these artificial intelligence the the artificially intelligence i'm trying to get this sorry yeah. sorry to say this right music created by artificial intelligence and some of it there yeah. there was a machine somewhere that was trying to create there still is so i think it's in the uk it's trying to create music that sounds like christina aguilera or britney spears and it's it sounds good like it sounds like that sort of music and it's written by a bloody machine no human uh, interaction with it at all so i think it, i think it can do music very like superficial music to your exact point that's why i think it's such a good point you raise but i don't think machines will ever be able to do music like yours or like radioheads or like van halen's because there's too much so, emotion so you know you know i actually had an amazing conversation about um so i my my cto of the company i'm working for so i work for a biomedical company as well my, my daytime job right okay and He's a, he loved jazz, right? And he gave me this, he gave me the Miles Davis autobiography. Mm. And it's, it's mind-blowing. So it's, first of all, it's a great introduction to, to jazz because he's invented so many parts or so many genres, basically, or co-invented some of them. Mm-hmm. And it's just an, an amazing book like this. And we were talking about, um, basically, the fact that jazz is kind of, there's, people want to follow bands or people want to follow the person, right? Which is why there's this constant stream of, new shitty music which people still listen to because well you know there's only so many great artists out there and maybe at this one moment there's there's not exactly kind of your one that you want to follow or you know you you have appetite for more than one artist so then you end up just branching out to the genre because you want to listen to this kind of music and so then 
you end up wanting to go to a gig and you want to watch an interview or you want to maybe, you know, like try to identify with the story that this guy says, even if the music isn't, isn't that great, you actually want to have that personal connection to the artist. Mm-hmm. And so he, we were making a point, we went to see Snarky Puppy, which is this, this jazz funk band. And he was like, I think this is why people go there because they want to see live jazz. They don't want to listen to the old stuff that's recorded because you can't go talk to Miles Davis anymore. You can't go and talk to Dizzy. Like, you know, the only yeah. thing you can do is you can try and get the new guys, right? Even if, even if maybe you love his stuff, it would never be the same. If some other guy played Miles Davis' stuff in the same genre, it wouldn't be the same because it's not the same guy. Mm-hmm. So I think that the robots will never replace that connection, that human connection. And maybe they'll write like similar shitty songs and shitty artists or like less inspired artists could write. But I think that people would still choose to go see the guy and not the machine. Mm, I agree totally and it's a really important point you raise about no I agree absolutely yeah and it's really it's a really good point that you raise about jazz because I I think I'm not educated from the perspective that I have uh, I I don't understand the technical side of of music and the origins of music the way somebody who studies it will okay so I do my own reading and I take bits and pieces off from the internet like we all tend to do but jazz is a master genre okay when ragtime became jazz all of a sudden, from jazz, you get blues, you get pop, you get rock, you know, you get just about every genre of music yeah. that's in the modern sphere these days. And jazz yeah. is so important to us. And I've seen this. I've seen this happen. Jazz and classical music are the two types of music you can put on with anybody and they'll stop what they're doing for a moment and take it in. And then it's, it affects you is what I'm saying. It touches a deep it touches a like the, to the core of you, and I've got John Coltrane's uh, "I Love Supreme" here, and I put that on all the time. And I can tell you, mate, yeah. if the, and I t- this is a really important point actually. When I put that album on, I got two daughters, so four and five years of age. They can be running around doing stuff, but when I put on "I Love Supreme," they settle down. It's there's something uh, in beautiful. there. Yeah, there's something in there. Yeah. Now I don't tell them that I've put it on. I don't don't I don't tell them to stop you know yelling at each other or what have you but eventually what they do and it's a really it's a and it's really special what it does to my eldest daughter she starts being creative so it does something it switches on the creative mode of your brain if you like it gets you out of that reptilian reactive brain and it gets you more into the creative side of things and it gets you really into that space of being human i think and i see it with kids because kids yeah. have very little control over themselves right they just react to stimulus and when, when you're putting on, particularly John Coltrane, because it's probably my favourite jazz album, The Love Supreme, when I put that on, or uh, to your point about Miles Davis, Miles can be fairly upbeat, I think, so it doesn't quite have the same effect. But I notice with John, with his music, it's so, you know, often there's a couple of seconds between notes. The note just lingers and it just hangs in the air. Yeah. And and that's why jazz. I so think Miles Davis is actually the word. The per, sorry, that like the, he is sorry. I, sorry, I didn't mean no, to interrupt. Right. But he he's the one that it, that invented all that kind of. Um, he he's the one that made the transition from bebop to the cool and and more chill jazz. And Miles, you should. I would highly like this book. is amazing. Like you're, you're yeah. gonna love. This okay, book. I'll it's check really, it out. Really good. Yeah. I've got a lot and of so his vinyl. He's played yeah. a lot with John Coltrane, actually. Yeah, I just so, I just noticed with that one. Yeah. yeah, there's that. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, Louis Armstrong. There's, there's just so many wonderful artists out there. And the thing I like about jazz is it's such a broad universe. You can never stop getting into it and finding new music. True. Yeah, true. You know, it's just true, one I'm of... definitely more into the slower, more melodic stuff as well. So he did this movie soundtrack for this French movie. Hmm. And 
like the the starting credits are just it's so good it's like a really soft kind of moody background and he's got just these these this beautiful little melody on top it's it's amazing and that was like so long ago you know like uh, in, the, mm. in the 50s in the late 50s and it's still so good so yeah you're right there's something to it for sure but your your sax solo in in free to go did you write that or did you did you get somebody to riff on that for you so 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 i'm actually a trained saxophone player originally so um on the so I haven't played that so well. I play some of the just the notes and the and the chorus, and I play in nothing at all. It's it's me playing on the alto. Okay, gotcha. Um, yep. But I I wrote a solo for this, and then we were sitting down with Matt, and we we're thinking it's not bad, but it's not as good as it could be. <laughs> and so the guy who wrote the solo and recorded it is actually one of my best friends from back home, and so he's he's now a professional sax player, mm-hmm. um, Kevin Juera, is his name. Give him a bit of credit here. And mm-hmm. uh, so I just called him. I was like, dude, we're recording in five days in the studio. You have time to do a solo for me. And I was like, mm. you know, I'm, like, I'm busy, but let me see what I can do. And, and yeah, he wrote and recorded this. Uh, like, it's so good. Mm. Like, yeah. What drew you to... It's, it's great. Like, yeah, I think it's beautiful, man. It's I've listened to it a few times. It's 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 kind of got God. Bear with me here when I say this, but it reminds me a little bit of Ivor Davies and the solo that he put into Ice House's Electric Blue. Now I know you're from Switzerland, so you, you didn't grow up in Australia during the '80s, but you couldn't miss that song during the '80s. Uh, it was everywhere, and it's still around. You still hear it in pubs and clubs occasionally, not as a dance song, yeah. but just as background music. And it's kind of got similar qualities yeah. to that. Like I can tell your mate has really, really understood what you're trying to achieve with your music on this one here. Yeah, he is. He is amazing. But so we've played together forever. So we actually started improvising together and we started like writing music together and learning about music together. Hmm. So we've played for years, like, you know, a few times a week we had a, a klezmer, you know, at the, traditional Jewish music which is just so fun to play just the two of us and like he is great he really gets me and he is very very good like his melodic lines are just brilliant like I would always trust him with you know if if I wanted someone to solo I would like I would like it to be him like he just wrote the best stuff I bet I bet hey tell me about your journey from Switzerland to Australia what inspired you to make the move to Sydney uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a convoluted story, like, like all stories, I guess. But so um, I started traveling when I was uh, 19. I went to Canada on exchange, um, and then I kind of so I was dating an Australian girl at the time, and she I never really put Australia anywhere on the map in my brain because uh, I don't know, you know, you learn about the world and hmm. Australia is so far away that we learn a lot about you know European history and stuff like that, and then obviously you get American history a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. where you get all the American influences. And it's true that Australia and Asia are quite far away. And then you get, you know, we had China and everything. And, and yeah, Australia was kind of just under the radar. Um, and she kind of put that on the map. And um, after after my first exchange, I went back to Switzerland. I was pretty bored because it's, it's a beautiful, lovely place, but it's kind of small and quiet. And so I uh, I decided to do my uh, my PhD here. Oh, okay. There you go. So, oh, well, that's not that convoluted. Yeah. That makes sense. You know. Yeah, I mean, I skipped a few bits in the middle, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you the short version. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I, I think it's awesome, and I absolutely love. Like, I've been here for seven years now. I'm trying to go for my citizenship as well, and it's it's amazing. Like, 
it's it's a great it's a really you know so if 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 I had to summarize one of the main things that I like about Australia, which is like both its best feature and its worst fault as well. Yep. Is and you could don't take this the wrong way. I mean this in a in a very neutral way, just as a matter of fact, right? That's cool. Like it's the fact that it's such a young country, right? So it means that it's it's devoid of a lot of the cultural history and baggage of Europe or America even. So yeah. in Europe, it's like everything is a problem because we've like someone has done anything you can possibly think of that was bad and, and you know, against somebody else. So like you have to tread on eggshells about, you know, the whole racism and social you know, integrity and whatever. And it's, it becomes super heavy. Every dialogue tends to become very heavy. Um, mm. And whereas in Australia, it's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's fun to be a little bit politically incorrect. And I think that's, it gives it a very kind of light can do kind of, no, but I love it. Right. It's like very refreshing because it's, it's freaking annoying when you have to, when you can't make a joke without then having to explain for half an hour that, you know, it's a joke and you didn't mean it that way. Like, yeah, I feel like everybody gets it. Right? <laughs> like it's not a big deal. Well, I think, um, I think a lot of people, on the other hand, uh, no, I think a lot of people would agree with you, mate. I support your comments from the perspective that look at what happened with the election on the weekend. You know, at, at some point in time, um, like it's it's okay. So the the left wing vote, the Labor Party's vote, which typically identifies with a lot of this political correctness and identity politics, that was uh, in yeah. Queensland here, the state of Queensland here, mate. It was down at twenty five percent or something. I think it was lower. 25%. And this is, and, and people go, oh, these are the, you know, the white trash that are voting for liberals. It's bullshit, man. They're just regular families that can't keep up with all of these twisting values, if you like, and these different, uh, different interpretations of what is morally correct, if you like. You know, when you're talking about people who are, and, and this is the thing about Australia, mate, most of Australia is suburban. As you, as you probably figured this out, most of us don't live in the bush because we can't. It's too hostile. So we end up living in a couple yeah, of cities. Yeah. You know, we're not a big country to your point. We are, you know, in terms of the nation of Australia, yeah. it is only 230 years of age. So we're still sort of figuring things out, I think. And it's uh, it's really interesting to read a lot of the dissection, particularly by left wing media, about why the Labor Party lost it. But I think they've really got to, to to your point about you know the constraints that political correctness puts on regular people. They've really got to look at that, and they've really got to avoid dictating to people how people should be talking and leading their lives. Because Australians, mate, I'm Australian, and I'll say I don't think we're a mean spirited people at all. You know that. I just think we like. I, I think we're very generous, and I just don't think we like people telling us what and how to act. And I think political parties are going to find that out the hard way because it was a very unexpected result on the weekend, as you can probably appreciate. But I think that's. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Sure. And I speak to a lot of people from. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, they, they actually. And their comments that I get from them are mirror yours. You know, they're very similar to yours. They sort of look at us and they say, man, there's, there's no way that in Sweden or Norway, for example, that we could say, look, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to go down this path politically, okay? We're, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, be politically correct because if you take an opposite view, you will get called a racist or you'll get called other names that are really quite nasty and unfortunate, but people aren't racist, mate. They're just trying to raise families. Mm. I hope that makes sense. And, you know, you try to be direct, but because yeah, of Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. no, no. So I, I think it's, so I think the lightness of just... I think it's it's very like I said. I think it's very very refreshing. I think it does have um, like everything. Right? There's always there's for every positive there's always a negative. So so um, 
I think the only danger with, with in general, like, and you know, to be entirely honest, I find, and, and this is again, no offense, but I find the Australian politics are some of the worst. Um, just, I feel it's very young still. Like it feels like a very young political system. Like I feel like that in general, the discussions that are being had in Australia are very kind of like we've had those, like we, we shouldn't have to have those still. Right. But like you say, everybody has to find out for themselves kind of thing. So it'll all, it'll all happen by itself. But so my comparison with Europe is, for example, the one thing that I find is lacking for the exact same reason, in my opinion, is that Australia has never had any like major suffering and, and great, right. I think there was no famine. <laughs> there was no like, you know, there's obviously some bad things happened and that, that may or may not have been rugged under the carpet. But in general, it's like, you know, like compared to, to some atrocities that have happened in, in other countries, it's still pretty much on the light end of the spectrum, I would say. Or, or like, so the good thing about pain and suffering, though, is that it kind of raises your question about like the like the human condition in general. And it makes you really think about, you know, what it is to be human and what your values are and then and that then on, on its generates art and culture and like different like you know points of view that are being expressed and debated and and so I think that and this is again just purely my opinion, as much as the lightness kind of is, is a very nice thing, the one thing that I kind of miss here is kind of that what comes out of the cultural baggage and heritage, which is like a bit more depth of you know there's more there's so many aspects and they've all been discussed and like i said i'm actually very neutral about this because on one hand i love it and on the other hand i don't like it and it's it's like there's days i'm like i would really like to debate you know the (laughs) social political implications of you know something something or other Hmm. and then other days i just want to make a few really dumb jokes and just not having to worry about who i'm going to offend you know (laughs) well look i think just be yourself this is I, i firmly believe australia is a country that you can just be yourself in for the most part, you know. And, and I think it's a sort of country where provided you're a decent bloke, a decent fella, and you, like you do, you have what I call a program. You're a musician and you've, you're clearly a very smart guy because you're doing your doctorate, you're studying, but you're, or your master's, sorry. You do, you, you've, you've got a program, you're easy to figure out, you can pretty much take you as you, I mean, we've just, we've never met each other beforehand and we're, you know, half an hour and do a conversation and we can talk about all sorts of different things and we're listening to each other. I think that's the great strength of being an Australian and living in Australia. And I never, yeah. I never ever want to yeah. see us lose that, you know, that because there are parts of the world where if you have a difference of opinion with somebody, it can mean deep trouble, very serious trouble. And that's parts of Europe too, where that can happen. Uh, my wife's father's yeah, from... Yeah, yeah. I think Australia has a very strong, like, common sense. Like, I think common sense is pretty, pretty strong in Australia. Yeah. Overall, I think. Just in general, people are pretty, you know, they, well, think, they think, think about stuff. Well, I think if if you've got context like what you and I do, so I'm, I'm, I'm only Australian, I don't have anything else in me, but uh, my wife's father is from Croatia. Now, he's passed away, but he, uh, he had a stroke um, about 10 years ago or so, so... He wasn't his complete self, if you like, for the last decade. But before that, I got to know him a little bit. And he told me a little bit about his life in Croatia, man. And that was a fucking hard place to live. He had no choice but to get out. Oh, yeah. He would have been probably, my interpretation, not that he's ever said this to me, but I think the inference was if he'd stayed in Croatia, he would have been killed. 
I mean, and and this oh, is we. My family used to go to Croatia every second year, and my dad has got some some good friends there still, and and w- who were Serbs actually at the time. So yeah, uh, like during the war times, like it was super screwed up. Yeah. Very, Absolutely. very tough, like, mate. Oh, very tough country, mate. And they breed them tough over there too. They're lovely people, but they breed them tough yeah. over there too. And, mate, it's only really in the yeah. last 10 years they've been free of conflict. And some would argue that the conflict is still there. But I don't know much about it, to be honest. I shouldn't go into too much detail. But I did know my father-in-law quite well, obviously, because I've been around for... My wife and I have been together for yeah. 12 or 13 years or so. And, yeah, I mean, it's so we've got context. And my, my wife is half Filipino too, so we go back to the Philippines. Well, we go to the Philippines quite a bit. So we see how uh, people in the Philippines live. And I really admire Filipino culture, I must say, because they get by with not very much and they don't want very much. And these are people that still have money and everything else that, you know, the means to buy, but they're very family-centric and they're very Catholic. And I really appreciate that. And I very I admire that very much about them. They, they haven't lost their sense of... Um, there's a lot of them over there, but they haven't lost their sense of community and that, that spirit of Christianity. And mm. I'm not a practicing Christian, I must say, but I admire the way that they... Practicing Catholic, sorry, I must say. I am a Christian in my heart, but... I really admire the way that they're able to do that, what they do over there, because they do try to help each other out quite a bit, and they're very family focused. So, we've got a lot of influences. Yeah, going that's on. right. I've never, I've never been. I have a friend who loves it there, though. He's married to a Filipino woman as well, and so he, he's really fond of the country as well. They're going to move there actually. So, oh, beautiful country. And he's from Switzerland. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Gosh, mate. Yeah, these. Uh, you know, it's it's really good to talk to somebody who's got an open mind and who's prepared to talk about a lot of different things because it really gives people. This what I, what... <laughs> that was a very big tangent, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it's, you know why it's great, mate. This is why I love doing podcasting because it gives people the the dimension behind your music to get to understand who you are as an artist and what motivates you. And and I think what that does is made it in dears, especially for an indie artist or or an independent artist like yourself. It gives people that extra reason to get into you because people do have to discover you, don't they? Unfortunately, Triple J probably aren't going to be playing you regularly, yeah. even though I think they should be, but they won't. Yeah. Um, you know, so you probably got to listen to what's, what is the, uh, is it two SER? Is two SER still the independent radio station in Sydney? I can't remember. It was when I was down oh, there, but there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of uh, community radio stations in Sydney, but yeah, I don't know which one you mean by by the independent. I'm not sure. Like there's there's the one I really like is Eastside FM. Actually, they're a great crew. Eastside. Well, there's only one up here. You see, there's only four triple Z, and uh, you've got to listen to that over the internet if you're on the Gold Coast where I am. So um, there's only the one, and I used to have a radio show on four triple Z. Actually, a digital radio show on four triple Z. So, uh, yeah. but I don't know Sydney's a much bigger market with five and a half million people or what have you. So it can probably support yeah. a lot more. Yeah. A lot more opportunity for your music to to make the radio waves, the airwaves, so to speak. But uh... yeah, but you're totally right. It's it's for sure. It's a it's a battle, and but and so to actually to you raise a, a good point about the Triple J thing. So we we spent quite a bit of time and effort back in the day trying to get you know the one Triple J play because they de facto own the like. Yeah, like it's the ultimate rating system in the Australian music scene. Right? Yeah, yeah. So if you get if you get a good vote on Triple J on Earth, then you can put the little label like the little has been played on Triple J label on your page that somehow has has been seen as like having a master's degree or a doctorate in something you know in another industry. But I actually so we have been played on Triple J a couple of times, but I actually found that it's almost completely irrelevant compared to what the streamers do for you these days or community radio stations or, and blogs and like. Is or that right? Podcasts. There you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's like you get one play, right? So, like, what are, what are the chances of people actually having the time to be like, oh, I like this. They're probably driving. Hmm. Like, they're not going to Shazam it and then look it up later and whatever, right? So, it's like, it's a play or two here and there. But if you if you get one of the best things these days, are these, these algorithmic playlists are absolutely key now for artists, right? So, Spotify has these great playlists. And they have the algorithms that somehow actually figured out what you like. And then they give you your Discover weekly playlist. And we've had quite a number of people from all around the world just drop us a line, which means that they've, they've listened to it you know, on their playlist. They loved it. They then went on our page and then looked us up and then found like the email or the Instagram handle or whatever. And then went on that <laughs> platform just to tell us that they dig that song. <laughs> and I just find that impressive, right? I find that absolutely amazing, especially nowadays where the attention span is like three seconds tops, right? So and it's so somehow Spotify managed to has a really good algorithm that understand that can analyze the music and then actually make very decent suggestions. So that is key now because it's it's straight to who people who actually are likely to like you enough to then mm-hmm. follow you. That's which a is really super good point. powerful. That's a really good point. I always yeah. love getting because I can have my own theory on these things but if i'm talking to an artist and that's the feedback we get that's fact that's what i like about doing this as well because yeah i often wonder so, about... so what do you think about the streamers then that's that's i would like to have your opinion then oh I t- obviously i talk to being a podcaster i talk to a lot of people and i think people are still trying to figure it out okay the problem with streaming ultimately yeah. is that you don't get remunerated in a way that you would typically do as if people bought the album but then again yeah. people wouldn't have been a lot in most cases the vast majority of cases, in fact, I don't think people would get the opportunity to hear you if it wasn't for streaming. If they're still relying exactly. on digital, yeah. on, on physical copy, they wouldn't have the, the 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 opportunity to listen to you. And look, as a podcaster, most of my audience is actually in the United States, which I'm very grateful for. I've got to tell you, I only about yeah. a quarter of my audience is here in Australia. So quarter of my oh, audience well, is that's true. So and the other quarter is just divided up between Europe and South America and other parts of the world, but mainly the united states and i'd be like you mate i get comments from people all over the world and it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the internet and the opportunities that it's given us so i'm very positive about the whole thing even though streaming sort of presents a fairly negative model unto itself i've got to do a presentation at uni fairly soon about podcasting and one of the key tenets that i'll be delivering to people is that don't expect to make money out of podcasting but it gives you an opportunity to make money and that's what i think streaming does it gives you an opportunity to build an audience somewhere and maybe go on tour and sell some merch and do some other things but i think overall you're exactly right yeah I think it's a very positive thing, brother. I really so, do think streaming is good, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so too. And I, I mean, they, they should really. So, I mean, so we have, we're, we're inching ever so, ever so closer to having the, actual, like a million plays total on Spotify alone, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and like everybody Jeez, knows a million huge. plays is roughly like three or four K. <laughs> like, right? But if you think about the money it takes you, to go on the studio and record, and you know you gotta you just start by buying an instrument, right? So mm. you gotta record, you gotta have it mastered, you gotta you know like, and then you gotta promote it somehow. You gotta get some some people that help you push it a bit. Like you're way above that, right? Like easily. And then if you then imagine that you want to maybe if you wanted to make a living out of it, you'd have to actually pay yourself, and you, like you'd have to have a ridiculous amount of plays in order to be able to sustain yourself from streaming alone. That's yeah. true. So I think there's a breaking point where streaming becomes kind of the enemy 
And it's probably to artists that are big enough to sell via different means because they have a following that's strong enough that they would go out and seek for their new album. So I think um, one of the big um, phrases that I can't remember who like actually invented it, but Tim Ferriss mentioned this all the time, is like the only thing you really need is a thousand true fans. And you don't need a million people that care a little bit and can't know you but wouldn't, wouldn't actually buy anything of you. All you need is a thousand people that will really buy your stuff yeah. because they really love it. Yep. And so you get a great point there. So I think that's, that streaming, so I think the people that whinge about it the most probably should be the ones to whinge about it the least. So it's all the, yeah. all the ones that have never been heard before that actually are getting a platform that enables them to get heard. And then it's, it's actually the big artists that should complain most. And, you know, the record labels whinge about it a lot as well, but hmm. they're actually the ones cutting the biggest deals, right? And they had shares in Spotify and, and Tidal and whatever. Hmm. It's very interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's look. It's a subject. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very broad subject. This one here, and and everybody seems to have a unique perspective on it. But I, I share your sentiments. Believe me, I do. Um, I understand that the bigger artists think they're being ripped off and the like. But look, they've had an opportunity. Look, things change. It's a bit like the taxi industry with Uber. Okay, so I understand that mum and dads who have bought taxi licenses back in two thousand and one now don't feel like they're getting the return on investment that they used to, but you, you, things, they never stay the same. They always change. They always shift, and you've got to adapt to to market circumstances and the different platforms that are available to people to do different things, do, to get the same thing in a different way, if you like, and that's all streaming's been doing, and who knows what the next what the next evolution's going to hold. But to your point, mate, I think new artists, if you're, if you're complaining about it, I'd probably have a bit of a look in the mirror, to be honest, mate, and, uh, and say, mm-hmm. well, well, how can you turn this to your advantage? It's like, Just to make the point yeah. about podcasting again, like I, I don't expect to make money from this, okay? I don't, to truth be told, mate, I don't even know how I could turn this into an urn, the ability to make money. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you something, I love doing this. This really fulfills my mm-hmm. spirit doing this. Talking to artists and having this sort of interface, I wouldn't have this opportunity if it wasn't for podcasting. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I, I love it, mate. It's, it's beautiful. I love hearing that. And, yeah. you know, I was just going to say, the, before I forget this, but it makes sense that you think that way because you are doing exactly this, right? You've adapted to the market circumstances and you've actually quit the job that you weren't happy in. Hmm. And yeah, absolutely. now you have a new career. Well, so you're the perfect example of how you should do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, mate. Yeah. Well, it's true. It's true, though. And it's I've said it to people. I've said, look, what I knew when I started doing indie journalism, when I first started doing the writing, so I'm interviewing artists and, you know, the guy, you know, Peter Chris from Kiss, you know, um, or, you know the drummer from Black Sabbath, um, Vinnie Appersay, you know, all these big, these are some of the first people I interviewed, right? So I thought, my God, I mean, where am I going to take this? I mean, I'm from interviewing people who I've been listening to since I was five, in Kiss's case. Um, yeah. wh- where am I going to take this? And the answer was it ended up becoming a, pursuing a university degree. So you've got to be very broad-minded and you've really got to put your mind to it and really figure out what you can do with it. So for me, it wasn't an obvious pathway. It was a bit like you're coming to Australia. It might not seem obvious to, to somebody who doesn't really understand that you're you, but... To people that know me, they understand how I can make the jump from doing podcasting to doing a degree in journalism. So that's where I think yeah. that's where I think the major benefit to me personally has come from. If it wasn't for podcasting, I'm probably prepared to say I don't think I'd be doing a degree in journalism. And I've I've found I've come yeah, into my own. Ignore the naysayers. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah, but I I find I find 
when you're people like us, so I find people are really cool. You know, I find people are really supportive and exactly the way you reacted to when I said I'm doing, I'm in my 40s and I'm back at, or I'm at uni. Um, most people yeah. are, just wish they could do the same thing. And I say, well, why can't you? And they explain, well, mortgages and school fees, kids' school fees and financial commitments elsewhere. And I understand that, but man, fuck, life's too short. Life's way too short. Yeah, I honestly think that those are all, I mean, like some people don't have maybe, you know, some people maybe are really in a financial pickle, but I think that most people just, there's a very big difference between, and this is a very, um, maybe not um, um, politically correct thing to say either, but I really think that most people are lacking drive. So I think this is, I've, I've thought about this a lot, you know, like I've always thought about like some people get out of alcoholism and others don't, you know, and some people yeah. like succeed against all odds and some don't. And so if you're born rich then you know, you don't have anything to do. Okay, cool. If you're born poor, then everything is against you and you really have to. So I think the only thing that really separates us all is drive and drive is the only thing that means that will make you get to a good place independently of your starting point. Hmm. Whereas if you don't have it, then you have to have won the lottery and just have been born rich because then you don't have to have any drive because everything is there anyway. But the only thing that makes me sad about this is that I, you know, I've been raised in the, with a very strong um, belief that, you know, everybody's created equal and, you know, hmm. and so the thing that makes me sad with all this is that if you accept that, that some people don't have, as much drive as others, it means that if you are unlucky, there are some people that don't have the ability to get out of it. So that's mm. that's the extent of of my worldview at the moment. I'm not quite happy with it yet, but I think I think just to to get it back to a slightly lighter point, what you said before is I think the people that most of the people that say you know there's a mortgage and blah 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 blah, I think it's just they like the idea of doing something else because it sounds exciting, but they don't truly want it. Or they don't want it to the extent where wanting it means that they have to put the effort in, or they have to just to just you know take all the good and all the bad and just go on the journey. I think most people prefer being comfortable, and mm. they just you know they're like, yeah, sure, I'd love to be a professional football player, but like that doesn't mean that you actually <laughs> want to be a professional football yeah. player because it would entail having to do so much for it, right? That's right. So I mean, that's yeah, that's the end of my plate. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, that was a long one. <laughs> No, it's it's. I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent. I do think it comes down to attitude, drive, enthusiasm, just a willingness to understand. Okay, that life is a big experiment, and you are meant to do many different things during your lifetime. You're not meant to be sort of locked into this boring routine of suburban life. And I, I, I you know, it's something that I, I do live in quasi suburbia, even though I've got the cane fields just behind me here. It's still surrounded by other houses with families in them, in a semi semi rural and regional environment, but. But I, I just, I've just refused to sort of settle into that suburban life of getting fat and drinking beer, even though I do drink beer. But you know what I mean? I don't want to get to that point where yeah. that's my most exciting thing, like the cliche of suburbia. I never, ever want to become a parody of the cliche of suburbia myself. And I think that was one of the reasons why I did the hard reset and go to uni too after doing the podcasting was that I knew that I had more to give the world. Because in a lot of ways, and I think you, yeah. you, this might resonate with you, mate, Life needs to be about service. It needs to be about service to something. You know, it's it's in your case, um, you're highly intelligent, clearly, and, and you've studied a lot, and you've clearly got a job that has a high barrier to entry, meaning that you had to have had years behind you of academic 
research and pursuit before you could do the job that you were doing. And I think that's the best way to lead your life as well. Because as soon as you get into these jobs, and I'm not being judgmental on people who work in retail and jobs that any old person can get, but you're surrounded by a lot of people who don't give a shit and who really don't care a lot of the time. And I've been in retail jobs myself, and that's what I found that I was surrounded by. And it's very frustrating because you are around people that will, will tell you that life's not worth living indirectly. They'll say, it's very, life's tough, mate. You know, it's fucking, it's this, it's that. And it's like, no, it isn't. It's not really like that. It's just, you've got to make the most of the opportunities when they come and you've got to have drive, ambition, and you've got to be prepared to, when you get a lucky break, make the most of it. I think that's, that's yeah, really important. I, yeah, uh, very well said. I, th- I think you're, and I also have, you know, I think we need everyone. So not everyone should do every job or not everyone, like, you know, if everybody wanted to be the CEO of a company, then nobody would work for them, right? Because everybody else would want to be the CEO too. So it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> but I think that you're right that if you, independently of what you do, you should really love it, right? And some mm. people are just excellent at retail, right? They love it. And they, but you're right that the ones that do is because they like the service, right? So like, I have some friends who love being in retail because they love making people feel, be- making people feel better. Mm-hmm. Right? So like, it's like they want to advise them, like, you know, this maybe doesn't suit you so much, but this is killer. Like, you're going to, you know, you're going to kill it tonight in this dress or whatever. Right? And they're <laughs> actually, you know, the person leaves super happy. And I'm like, you know what? You just did this, pre- like, just a massive service, right? Yeah. It's like, so so all that matters is, like, is that they need to love it, right? And then eventually there's a growth opportunity there, too. I think you're right. That a growth in opportunity, the job that you yes. Don't have maybe such a high barrier of entry, it means that, you don't have to have proven that you're willing to fight for it. So hmm. there's going to be more people that didn't fight. So you're totally right. And then you, and you have the high chance of being locked in a in an environment that is not very, like not a growth environment. Yes, so that's right. Personal growth. Yeah. growth environment. And then, yeah. and then you're in a rut and it's over. <laughs> what a scary thought. <laughs> I know, it's, it's terrible, mate. Yeah, but look, I've met these people in years gone by before I really sort of knuckled down and had a career at Telstra, mate, when I was trying to be a musician, ironically. Uh, working in retail and uh, working for an insurance company, man, it was horrible. I've got to tell you, I hated it. And uh, it wasn't me, and it was just I was trying to support a music habit. Let's call it that, a music habit. But I, eventually I gave up, you know, that in, in playing originals music, being in Velveteen and doing other things, and it was just, just too hard, man. And I'm, I, But I'm grateful for the experience now because I'm 20 years past that, 15 to 20 years past that, and I can see that I've got a lot of rich... Uh, experience to draw from if you like especially now that i've got kids and i can impart onto them i'm not going to tell them how to lead their lives outside of be morally you know just that moral foundation that children need but be be themselves because they're all different you know and and it's it's uh yeah if you if you want to go and as i say i'm not not trying to be too judgmental but jobs with low barriers to entry you're going to be working with all types and a lot of them are going to be very unhappy and if you surround yourself enough with those sort of people for a long enough period of time well you could become one of them you know, it's, I never yeah, want my kids to do that. For sure, yeah. It, it'll just mean that you have to put more effort into into not into just realizing not not letting yourself being dragged down. And I think what you just said was you don't you're not going to dictate your kids' lives. I think you're raising a great point about the, the 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 wealth of experience that you may have had because I think that the main thing that my parents did for me they never pushed me into anything, but they've exposed me to almost everything. So I think yeah. from like a parenting move, I realized this way later when I when I started traveling and you start meeting people and you're like, 
yeah, I did this and yeah, I did that. And, you know, yeah, I can ski. Like, I'm not the best skier, but I can ski. And like, yeah, of course I can do that too. And I can do this too. And I went diving and, you know, and then you realize that most people have done none of these things, right? And that's just the exposure that you get by doing and, you know, that by basically my parents gave me the opportunity to do whatever and then just pick what I liked hmm. rather than telling me what to do or even worse, not, not exposing me to anything. Yeah, and me not even being aware of what's out there, and I think like I was, I'm very grateful for them, um, and I'm I'm definitely going to do the same thing with my kids as well. So I'm not going to push them into anything, but I'm going to make sure that they give everything a fair shot, and that they will find something that they um, can you know find their drive or fuel their drive with. Mm-hmm. Nice, oh, man. I didn't know. I thought we were going to talk about music, about <laughs> politics, and. <laughs> Mate, it's great. This is this is going to be make a great episode for people because a lot of a lot of the time, obviously, people they won't have heard you beforehand. Uh, before, or they might have heard you beforehand, but just with the audience being in the US, like so many of them are, mate, and they get a well-rounded approach before they listen to your music. You know, um, so yeah, no, no, it's, no, it's been great. It's great fun, though. It's good. Well, look, I, I better wrap things up because I've got another one at nine o'clock, mate. But before I let you go, can you just tell the audience, mate, if they want to listen to your wonderful music, which I'm sure they're very inspired by now, having to get to after the, <laughs> getting to know you, mate, how can they tune into you? Like, what, where are the what website and what social media pages can they go to to discover you? Yeah, cool. So uh, we're called Citizen of the World, so you can find us um, pretty much on all of the uh, the streaming platforms, which, which, as we discussed, we're kind of fans of. So we're on Spotify and Apple Music. We have a website as well, citizenoftheworldmusic.com, and all the all the social handles are normally, you know, Instagram is at Citizen of the World Music. Same for Facebook. And so, if you can't find our music on Spotify, drop us a line, and I'll I'll send you a link. <laughs> there you go. Okay, you're easy to find on Facebook because uh, you know, type in "citizen of the world music." I think it is. Is that right? Is that what the name of the yeah, page is? Yeah, that's yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Just type in that and find yeah. you. And uh, look, I'll put some stuff in the introduction to the podcast episode. Uh, so as that people can find you pretty easily, man. But look, I've really appreciated the opportunity to have this chat, Garrett. It's been really cool, man. Seriously, this is one of those ones that I've truly enjoyed. You know, you've been very open to having yeah, a very broad too. conversation, man. And, and I think the listeners really appreciate this, man, rather than just talking about the music, even though that's what it's about. But it's really also about getting to know the person who creates the music. So thank you for participating in such a great way. No, this is uh, very unexpected, but I enjoyed this a lot. So thanks for having me, and I'd, I'd gladly anytime I'd do this again. <laughs> no worries. What I'll do is, um, when I've posted the podcast episode, I'll just send you the link, and you can share away or otherwise, mate. Feel do feel free to do whatever you want with it. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Okay, cool, mate. Thanks very much again, eh? Okay, yeah, thanks. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks, brother. No worries. Catch ya. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and that interview subject was Garrett Gamel from the Sydney outfit, Citizen of the World. Thanks so much for listening.